Hey y'all, this is Jake. Before we get into this week's episode, I have to share an important announcement, and that is that Decision Space is going on a two-week hiatus. So there'll be no episode next Wednesday the 4th, nor on the 11th, and we'll be back on the 18th. Nothing is changing with the show. I am simply going on vacation. So we will miss y'all a lot, but we'll be back when I'm back from vacation. And without any further ado, please enjoy the show. It's a good one. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here, here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And today, in episode 140 of Decision Ooh. Space. Yeah, that's a big number. <laughs> we are going to be talking about, I think, a really straightforward question that we will surely have a really straightforward discussion about, which is, can games be scary? Uh, it's a spooky season, you know? At least here in the United States, we're, we're getting ready to start celebrating the month of Halloween in some people's families. You know, ultimately it comes down to one day on October 31st. A month but... and a half for some people. The pumpkin yeah, yeah. spice I... <laughs> is here. Yeah, The pumpkin spice has been here. I will say my son, you know, he's just over two now and walking yesterday. He really likes pumpkins. They're, they're bright, you know, they're fun. We saw someone had a pumpkin flag out and he was like, a pumpkin flag? He doesn't know Halloween's coming. He has no idea. So to him, it was just this exciting thing. So I'm excited for him to see the rest. But for the rest of us, I think I'm more interested in this question of can games be scary? You know, this is like held up as this ideal, Jake, of like, well, if games are art, which like that's not even frame it that way. Obviously, they are. Are games a medium in which you can be elicited fear is a common question. And then I think even more importantly, are board games or physical tabletop games a place where you can be scared? Yeah. I mean, we talk about agency of games and perhaps, you know, some forms of agency are from the perspective of fear. So does that translate? Mm. We're going to talk all about it. And we're also going to share some recommendations for games that you might consider playing this spooky season. So really what Brendan should have said is this is our spooktacular episode. Amazing. Well, let's start the spooktacular then. Oh, shoot. We did get a review. We got a review? We should read it. We should read it. Okay, great. Let's read it. I'm going to pull it up. I'm pulling it up as we speak. And while you speak, I will mention that if you want to support Decision Space, you can do what this dearling and dearling, darling listener uh, has done and go on to Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you know you can leave reviews online and leave a review of our show with five stars or 10 stars if you find a way. Uh, And that actually does so much for supporting Decision Space. So thank you to all of you who have done that and all of you who might do that in the future. And this review comes from Satch83 via Apple Podcasts Norway. And it's Mm. titled Great, five stars. Yes. I just discovered this podcast but this is quickly jumping up as one of my favorites. A lot of fun discussions that look at games from a different angle, going deep into decisions and mechanics and such great fun to listen to. Looking forward to every episode while also enjoying listening through the backlog. Thanks. No, thank you, Satch, for that incredibly kind review. It really means so much to us. Thank you. Now, spooktacular! Can games be scary? Okay, Jake, we need to start with two definitions, I think. So first, like, what does it mean to be scared, right? That takes us to like being frightened uh, or or what is scary is like something that causes fear. So what is fear? I have for this, this is a quick definition from the internet, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat, right? Yeah. But when we fear, I think a lot of times when we think about this, it's the sort of experience of feeling fear on behalf of someone else, right? Yeah. When we feel scared while we're watching a horror movie, we're feeling fear for the protagonist or a group of protagonists. Right. I think that is right. And I think there's also sort of like a roller coaster slash hot pepper effect here where it's it's fun to feel fear and feel like genuinely afraid because in the back of our mind, we know it's all going to be okay at the end. I mean, maybe it won't end well for the characters in the horror movie or whatever, but it is going to like the movie is going to end and we can resume our lives uh, unharmed, right? The same as when, yeah, you eat a really hot pepper uh, and it's thrilling 
because you know eventually that heat is gonna go away and you'll be okay for it or or the same as like going on a scary roller coaster ride you feel fear but then it's like exhilarating at the end because you've like sort of done that and i think that is that type of fear like sort of that chili pepper version of it is at its you know is what i think we might hope to find in board games more Mm. so than like i'm genuinely you know afraid for my life or feel like playing this game is dangerous right this isn't squid games Right. It's about getting an emotional rise out of the stakes that exist within the context of the game. And maybe a little bit, like you said, Jake, back in episode 67 of Decision Space, we had a conversation with philosopher C.T. Wynn about his book Games Agency as Art that talks all about how games allow us to explore different agencies that we might not have in our normal lives and that that's one of the huge appeal of games. And I think that in talking about wanting to be scared, I think it's an interesting example maybe of taking on like situations in games where we're presented with less agency than we would like and learning to emotionally cope with that experience is actually part of the appeal of that safe space in a game, right? Like it's it's not pleasant to be scared in real life. It can be really pleasant to be scared in a, in a game or while watching a movie or reading a book, right? This like other space that is safe intellectually, we know that, but even for a minute, we can let the barriers of our understanding break down and feel, feel scared. And maybe in board games, feel scared in a way that's slightly different even than when I'm fully sucked into a horror movie or something like that. For sure. We'll kind of get into that and talk about what does fear look like in the context of a game? What does it mean to be scared and looking at in, in the context of a game? Because I, maybe we could also start, Jake. Have you, have you been scared playing a game? I think the answer to that is yes, in like the agency perspective and no in the like horror movie like you know jump scare like if you paused it and had to like go take the trash out outside at night or right after that movie i'm definitely in like a different headspace than i normally would be where i'm sort of like peering a little bit more like down the dark road you know yeah yeah. making sure like nothing is out there in a way that i wouldn't be just normally in my day-to-day life and i don't think i've ever like had that sense of like sort of like unsafety like pervasive like unsafety to my physical self arise like a looming dread yeah from playing a board game but definitely i have felt fear from a bunch of different perspectives like the fear that like Oh no, like like Charlie on my left, if he sends his troops to like attack me, I'm dead. Uh, right. I don't want that to happen and I'm very scared that it will happen. Yeah. You know, that I, type of feeling of fear. Totally. I think for me, a lot of the times where I've been scared playing a game don't come down to like external how do I want to put this? Like I feel like I'm I'm not often scared about what the game could throw at me in the same way like visually being presented by something in a horror movie can be a horror movie can be scary just because it can be shocking i feel like i'm not often shocked by games in the way that like horror movies sometimes will take advantage of shock to make you feel things but i've definitely been scared of being betrayed in the resistance and had an elevated heart rate in a way that i might get while watching a scary movie or being in a scary corn maze during this time of year which is something that like we'll do in the United States occasionally, right? Like go to this big corn maze in the dark (laughs) and like sign up to be followed by people. That's kind of scary. And I, that makes your heart rate rise. It makes your, your, sometimes your brain like run with thought. And I think sometimes while I'm playing the resistance, I get that sweaty collar, the like sort of dry mouth that you get while being scared where it's like the stakes of this feel really high. I'm going to performatively make a gambit while I'm playing as a member of the spies and hope that we don't get found out. And that can be really scary in sort of a different way. So I think that's when I'm typically most scared is it's like a a fear of betrayal or of my plans being discovered, of being seen in a way that I, I would prefer not to in the context of the game. For sure. And before we jump into like the mechanics of games and what what mechanics can kind of like uh, foster this sense of fear, I I think there is one more element to it, which is I'm looking down at some of the list of games we're going to recommend at the end, which is like some of these games, I think, are going more for that like horror movie type of Mm, vibe. vibe. And while they maybe don't like fully achieve that. I think there are games that we'll talk about that do make you want to like dim the lights and like, or maybe like put some candles on or like atmospheric m- music for ambiance. 
that still create like a fun, spooky vibe that elevates the experience, even if it doesn't like result in like, oh, I'm actually like so scared right now. It kind of like makes you want to like play up that emotion and sort of like creates like the magic circle of like almost like we're all sort of choosing to act as though we're scared or like at least like inviting that type of like emotion into this space, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. And it it pulls in, I feel like this other thread where we had started talking briefly about how one of the ways that horror movies, if we're watching them typically scare us is by having stakes, right? We're scared for the safety of the protagonist or whatever. And I think whenever I'm scared in board games, it's because the stakes feel really high of some sort of interaction or of some sort of random outcome. Uh, And I think that that's important to an important point, it's not scary if there aren't consequences, right? So like when we play a game, what are the stakes of a given situation? And does that have the potential to elicit fear in the resistance, like I was talking about, or werewolf, which is probably the more uh, timely theme to be discussing, the stakes are you just lose the game if you get found out, right? So those are pretty high stakes. But there's other examples that we'll talk about where these games are, you might feel fear playing them. And oftentimes it's because the stakes are higher in a given interaction that then they might be in a game that doesn't have this sort of theming in a way that works and supports the theme that you're feeling and the mechanically what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of these mechanisms that can really lead to fear emotion is busting like Mm. a catastrophic failure that happens directly as the result of one of your actions Uh, so we can think about that with can't stop a game that we've covered on this podcast in our push your luck episode where you know each subsequent roll of the dice carries greater and greater stakes because you've you know advanced higher up the board and risk losing all that progress on each roll so i think on almost any given turn of that game unless you just bust up very unluckily really early on you do kind of get at at least one point to be like oh like you know like i really want to keep rolling but like the uneasiness is like creeping into my stomach of that fear of failure and losing all this progress the dice start to feel heavier and heavier. You get a nod in your stomach as you're getting ready to roll. I think this is a perfect example of sort of because of the sort of stakes involved, It your heart starts to rate in the same way that like you might feel elsewhere. I, it strikes me, Jake, that it's interesting that a variant of this, like a push your luck dice game that was really popular for a while is zombie dice which kind of like, it's not that scary of a game, but it just takes that little bit of fear that comes from busting and says, hey, you could theme it like this. And I think Can't Stop themed around trying to escape a mansion or something. Seems like it'd be an interesting theme that would actually effectively work. Yeah. And, and that makes me think of another really good example of this busting. I think it elevates it even higher, which is Jenga, mm. right? Pull a block from a Jenga tower and stack it on top. Like the tower becomes a little bit less structurally sound and, you know, making your next turn. And then the turn after that, like ramping up the tension of that fear of busting. And I think, you know, this is not an original thought. I, I don't know. It might be shut up and sit down. I don't know who originally like credit this quote, but the amazing thing about Jenga is not like the fear necessarily of like busting on your turn, but the fact that like it ranch ratchets up the tension and then just holds players there as it, you know, you, you miraculously pull a dom or a tot. What is it? A block. You yep. pull set on top and you're like, I can't believe I pulled that block. It's definitely not getting back around to me. And then it does. You know, and then maybe around you again after that, and you just can't believe it. Uh, And you're just like held in that sort of like state of tension. And I think that's what horror movies are doing in a lot of cases, like versus board games. Like you might have a really tense moment, but it, it might be more difficult for games to kind of like maintain that tension and that like sense of fear of busting for a long time, right? Like can't stop, you kind of bust or you don't real quickly where it feels like Jenga can kind of hold you there for a a longer period of time. Yep. I feel like this goes back to like sort of like Hitchcockian sense of suspense or anticipation where it's much easier to be scared by something when you know it's coming. Uh, But it's just like, when will it happen is the, the question and the sense of dread that comes from that experience. 
so in movie making, you like as a viewer, oftentimes will be shown some privy will be privy to information that the protagonists in, or the actors within the film, the characters aren't privy to, and that privileged agency gives us a sense of dread because we know what will happen to them before it's happening to them and it's we're scared on their behalf jenga is so perfect because you have you know eventually the tower will fall so you get to have that sense of suspense so i think that's another thing that's really important in terms of these sort of eliciting moments of horror in games or being scared is as players you all have to be able to read the game state and know what will come we all understand gravity for the most part when we're ready to play jenga so we know eventually the tower will fall and it's it's scary. It also falls with cacophony. I think part of the the fear of Jenga is like it's unsettling in some small way when a Jenga tower falls. It's just loud, you know, and I think yeah. that makes a difference. Also, Jake, this is the perfect time to mention. Do you know of this role playing game? Uh, it's a one shot called Dread. It yes, was published I was going to in... bring that up too. You were okay. Do you want to talk about it real quick? No, I. So I don't. Uh, I haven't played it myself, but I am <clears throat> okay. aware of this game. I really want to play it. Right? It's a RPG that uses a Jenga block as like a core mechanism for building up the tension for players. Yeah. Anytime there's like an action that needs to be resolved, you have to pull a block out of the tower. So it's literally taking what Jake was talking about of the the sort of dread or the potential for horror created by a Jenga tower and using that as an action resolution mechanism in an RPG instead of something like dice. So I don't have experience with it either, but its reputation obviously is big. So if that's something you're interested in, it's a one shot RPG called Dread. Yeah. Okay, Jake, another thing I feel like that comes up with mechanical fear of board games, we talked about stakes. And we had talked about just how the fear of losing is something that can potentially create fear. Um, part of that, I think, also becomes one nice thing about board games is it's something we invest our time into. So we we have something that we could lose. And it's the feeling of losing our time feeling useful in a way. Like when I play a co-op game with my group of friends, I want to win it. It feels like a better use of my time in some ways if I win than lose, whether or not that's true, like philosophically how I play games, I think is a different conversation, but in some way I live with that looming thought in my head. So it makes me think when I was thinking this, have I ever been scared playing a game? I actually went back to pandemic legacy or just like plays of pandemic in general. I think pandemic does both of what we're talking about really well because pandemic uses the, you know, the, Oh, what's the actual name? The the cards in the deck that when you reveal them, they spread cubes, right? Those cards, they get shuffled back in so you know what's coming. You know if there's a bad city that it will come up again eventually. So you have that sense of anticipation that we were just talking about. It's not if, it's when. And I think that's a powerful question in terms of fear. And in pandemic, the the consequence of that can just be you lose the game because there's an outburst so badly that you can't fix it. And I think that those sorts of card reveals are another moment where I get close to fear or being scared in a game like slowly pulling the card off the top just turning it to peak and seeing if it's the city that will slay us or if it's the city we can live to fight another day on i think gets me pretty close and part of it is that sense of anticipation that comes with it and also just the investment of my own time and wanting it to be worthwhile i think that's a great point i think about this too in competitive games so i recently had a play of the princes of florence it's okay. an older uh, Euro game by Kramer and Ulrich of El Grande fame and Ulrich's son. So Kramer and Ulrich and Ulrich. Really interesting auction game. Uh, and I had this like sense of dread that was like so palpable in this game compared to almost any I can think of playing recently. Uh, and the situation was basically that I had... So it's an auction game where you're like trying to build out your board. And I had put myself in a situation where I had to win a very specific auction. Mm. Basically, they're like, I think there are like six things that are auctioned out every single round. And I had one dollar or something like the the least amount of money uh, you can bid. And I had to win one of those two auctions or my entire game was just going to be like, I would, I would just get last place. Like my whole game was a wash and I didn't really, it, it was my first time playing it. So I had played badly to put myself in that situation. But like from the moment I realized what I had done up through the next auction phase, like I was just like sitting with like such a palpable sense of dread in my stomach. That I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I've put myself in like such a bad spot to where you know, my whole game, I've just blown it. Luckily, I got, I was able to like win one of those auctions. 
just because either players didn't realize the situation I was in or didn't want that particular, you know, whatever tile for this like tile laying section of the game. Uh, and I felt really good when I got it, like just such a, a sense of relief. Um, but yeah, so I think that kind of goes into that sunk cost of like, I spent all this time in the game and it's all for nothing. Uh, and also just like fear of loss, like somebody's going to be taking that mm. one thing that I need away from me. And I think the important thing there too, Jake, was like you were hanging in a state of uncertainty, right? Like yeah, you didn't for like get a long to know. time. Yeah. And that's where you get to go to fear where you're considering the possibility of the outcome you don't want. Uh, and the game just like let you live there a little bit. I think another game that does that pretty well is uh, simultaneous choice when games present that. So, oh my gosh, this is a push your luck game designed by Bruno Fiduti. It's called Diamond is the ja- is the oh, yeah, yeah. British name. What? Why can I not think of the American name right now? Ink and Gold. Yeah, Boom. there you go. Got it. Okay, so Ink and Gold is cool because it uses simultaneous choice to give you that same sense of uncertainty. So this is another push your luck style game where you you're either in the temple exploring alongside other people with you where you'll share in the potential benefits that are there or you can leave the temple and take a little piece of what's there with you but you don't have the potential of staying and getting future returns so it's all about this tension of staying and hoping good cards that get drawn not cards that make you bust like jacob talked about or leaving early and taking a little bit and i think one thing I love about this game is it creates so much possibility of potential of if you stay feels really high, but then you all make a choice simultaneously to keep to stay or leave, but it's just you're just choosing for yourself. And I think in those moments, you get a little bit of fear around what if everyone leaves and then I, I could have like I stand to gain so much or I think that like all being in the same space uh, and having uncertainty about what other people will do is another area where fear can come up a little bit. Any, anything that uses the sort of diplomacy, like order sending yeah, is a good sure. one for that too. Clockwork Wars is a recent game I've played that does that really well, where everybody's picking basically where they're deploying units. And I found myself, uh, you know, simultaneously then we reveal, okay, I, we all sent our units to these different places and these are where there are going to be fights and these are where they're, you know, you just have to, you know, get something for free because everybody else thought everyone was going to go there or, or whatever. And I found myself playing that game, making my orders decisions pretty quickly in most cases, uh, uh, faster than some of the other players anyway. And and I would just make my orders, like flip my sheet over and then just like get up out of my seat and be like kind of pacing around waiting for everybody else to make their choices as well. So yeah, I think that simultaneous reveal is definitely something uh, that that creates that. Yep, that tension. Fear. That's also another one that so much plays into like the fear of humans betraying you. Yeah, right. Which is like a <laughs> core sure. theme in a lot of these games too, you know? You told me this, but can I trust you, right? Am I safe with like what you said or or is there danger awaiting? I think that's a huge way that you can actually feel fear in games yeah. is the fear. And also betrayal. because most people have experienced in their past like their trust being broken like some betrayal of some kind maybe it's you know something that is relatively small but we all have sort of like that baggage from some some time or another of of somebody saying one thing and then going behind your back and doing something different Uh, so it's really easy for us to sort of understand that agency and feeling and then you know and, and anticipate again right knowing that's something that can and probably will happen in this game at some point, it's just like, I hope it doesn't happen right now. Yeah, <laughs> I hope totally. I can betray first. <laughs> yep. Okay, so let's talk about some genres before we get into actual games and maybe sort of why they lean towards fear or horror sometimes. So one genre that came up for me, Jake, that I thought of immediately was hidden movement games. So these are games like Letter from Whitechapel or Fury of Dracula, or there's a new one called Beast, uh, where... One player is playing as uh, one of a few different types of beasts and the other players are playing as sort of like villagers trying to protect their village. But where the location of that beast is is unknown. The players are trying to discover it and prevent them. The setup is mostly the same in all of these. I feel like these moments, these this genre of games is great for producing scary moments um, because typically the stakes is really high and there's a lot of uncertainty around where the player who is the threat is on the map. It puts you and then the player who has that sense of threat usually is uh, hiding or uh, trying to obfuscate where they're at, which also puts you in that state of paranoia, I think a little bit of do they know? Um, Mm -hmm. So sort of 
both groups of tables are at players at the table are oftentimes feeling different horror tropes that lead us to being scared in games, but they're feeling them from different perspectives and in different ways. So you kind of get one whole horror experience across two sets of players in these games, which is nice, you know? Yeah. A great example for sure. And I think it actually makes me think of another mechanism that leads to fear, which is that like the game can instantly end. You know, I think when, especially if you're like playing the hidden person in a hidden trader or not hidden trader, like a hidden movement, hidden movement type game, uh, you feel that fear from the first turn because you're just like, sure. what if they just luckily catch me? Catch me? Star Wars Rebellion is another game that really has that element. It's like you can pretty much, you know, it's possible that you might find the rebel base just like right away or very early on in the game, you know, out of sheer luck. And that feels like really scary when you're playing that game. And that that same mechanism of like the instant loss is the same reason uh, code names is so good, right? Like you yeah. always have that fear in code names from the very first turn. It just adds so much tension knowing that there's an assassin card that if anybody triggers it, like if your teammate triggers it or you guess that word, it's over. Like it does such to like elevating that sense of tension, which I'm realizing is incredibly an important feeling to have in the context of fear in games. Yeah, uh, great so point. I think that's a mechanism to note. I've definitely been scared of playing code names. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you right. give a clue and like, yeah. You, you just, just have to like put your Ugh. face in your shirt basically because yep. you don't want to like give it away and you're just like so afraid about what you have just done. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you're like, oh crap, I didn't notice that antelope is also an animal and it's right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I mentioned social deduction games a little bit already. I think those just come to the fore as another genre. I've already covered why for the most part, but just like the fear of being betrayed is a, a real feeling uh, that within a game you can get to pretty quickly. I think it's it's harder to feel fear of being attacked like you would when watching like, I, I don't know, Friday the 13th or whatever, like being pursued by a a villain is a little bit harder than we just talked about hidden movement games and how they try to elicit that same sense of fear. Uh, but I think for social deduction, it's just so direct and so tied to the incentives yeah. that you really do feel the fear of being betrayed. I, I think, and once again, for me, it like if I'm playing the resistance and I just look at my card and see I'm like on the, the spy side, right? I'm the bad guy. Like I'm instantly scared that I'm yeah. going to be, found out like i'm gonna like give myself away or whatever like it, it j i just instantly feel deeply unsettled compared to when i'm on the good team i'm like this is great i can just i just get to like be honest and figure it out but it's like oh no i'm gonna have to like lie and perform now like yeah. that's scary i think part of the stakes too in addition to the like oh it's scary to perform is also like the stakes aren't just losing the game the stakes of, of the resistance or werewolf or whatever, blood in the clock tower is also like, I got deceived by my friends. Like they, they prove they can deceive me. And like those right. are high stakes. Yeah. Like that's a, that's an emotional human feeling. It's not just, I lost or the like game. your it's, spouse or like yeah. mom or whatever. Right. No, know? totally. Yeah. My best friend's mom just like totally deceived me. And I had no <laughs> ability to understand it. Like, it's an unsettling feeling in a way. So yeah. it gets closer to like, I'm never going to be scared of playing Torres because it doesn't reveal something about a real relationship that I have in the same way. You know, yeah. I, I think maybe this is a me thing, but like one of my like deepest fears in life yeah. is being like wrongfully accused of a crime. <laughs> You've like, talked about I just, this before on the show. Yeah. I just think like, there's nothing what like, I mean, that's like something I like have like a nightmare about because I yeah. just, think like once you're accused it's everything you say makes you sound more guilty and i've had that experience in social deduction games like countless time and it's like they're like you know my friends just without evidence right probably or yeah. maybe because they're a spy like jake's a spy he's like ask, acting so shady and then you're just like what no i'm like being totally not shady and they're like yep that's what a spy would say for sure and you're just like cooked squirming yeah <laughs> yeah it is it I think a I huge part of I don't know if that's genre. like necessarily like an actual like scary thing, but it's just like it's something that like gets your emotions, at least for me, like I'll be like blood is pumping. Like my face will be like red because I'm just like, no, like why won't anyone understand what I'm saying? Like I'm the one being logical. I'm not a freaking spy. Totally. And I think what you're highlighting, which is really insightful, Drake, is a huge part of the genre is just being put in 
willfully putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, right? Yeah. And that's an example of like, you agreed to play a game and now your friends have put you in an uncomfortable situation, which is pretty similar to the experience of like watching a scary horror movie like Wolf Creek and being like, oh, why did I agree to do this to myself? I'm really uncomfortable right now. It's so scary. You know? So yeah. I, I think that's that's a great point. Like I'm not typically uncomfortable playing the castles of burgundy right it's just not it's not a scary game it's not what it's there to make you might do. have some tension like oh i hope that tile doesn't get taken but then you're kind of yeah. like oh it did and now i'll just have to do my plan b you know right, exactly yeah that's so interesting it, these are instances where there's not always a plan b no yeah. plan b with no yeah. plan b yeah and that's i think that is very insightful because that was like why the princes of florence thing gave me such a sense of dread like i have plan a and if that doesn't work (laughs) out for me i'm it's really bad you know i've wasted an hour and a half well i feel like that's that's we've kind of like unpicked why some games that we've played historically have made us feel scared should we talk about one more type of game which is just i think narrative games i think that narrative games can be scary stories like you can just play a game that is telling you a scary story that might be scary for the same reasons like a, a book can be Stephen scary. King book is scary, sure. right? You're hearing about scary things, horrific things, you know, so so I think that is a genre that can also do this well. And, you know, I think at its best, most idealized, it could maybe even be like scarier in a sense, because like you put yourself so much into the story, right? You're like actually making decisions as a person. I don't know that I've played a game yet that like really rises to that level, but I certainly think that this is like a genre of game that that can do scary well. I played an escape room. You just reminded me, an escape room in a box. It was an escape escape room, not a unlocked escape room. Those being the two genres that I that are really popular of these escape room in a box games. And I don't remember the name of it and I'm not going to look it up because it would cause spoilers anyway. But I will say you just saying that Jake made me realize that that's one of the games I've played that's actually gotten closer to scaring me. We were doing this really cool thing with like a lit candle where we were basically having to draw a pentagram on our table to see where it was casting certain shadows as part of this puzzle solution. And it was kind of spooky. It got me. So yeah, I'm with you. If just certain images being put in your mind by narrative can even alone or being asked by a game to do something physically can be a little unsettling. So yeah, yeah. thanks for maybe role playing games are better for this. I think yeah. one of the challenges, I don't know if we've mentioned this enough, like for board games is like when you have mechanics involved in it, like I think it's just a very different part of my brain that I'm yeah. going to to do mechanics. And because I'm not actually physically in that unsafe scenario, like my brain doesn't do the reptilian brain thing that like the characters in horror movies do right where they are like i'm so scared so i'm making irrational wrong choices like because i'm not physically unsafe or threatened i can just like do the logic and that i think is running counter to like the fear emotion a lot of times but i think in like an rpg or like a very heavily narrative driven thing it's a little bit easier to just be like i'm just gonna like make the choice that my character might make or like i'm just gonna like go with the flow without like trying to like spend too much time thinking about like what's actually optimal here which is gonna make getting to like scared a lot more difficult totally whereas like when the jenga tower falls your amygdala jumps in it's like loud noise yeah right like exactly exactly. which is so interesting okay that's a great point jake thanks for bringing that up now spooky games we enjoy for your consideration yeah so this is the spooktacular part of the episode where we're just going to talk about some games that might appeal to you for this time of year games that we've had good experiences with as well yeah Brenda, do you want to kick us off first i do and maybe you're going to be like why did you start with this one but i want to start with it anyway because so one game that's spooky themed because it's witchy that jake and i both really love is broom service broom service is this simultaneous simultaneous choice driven game uh by alexander fister and oh no uh jake i'm sorry I- I did the thing where I named one designer and now I have to name both. Oh, and Al- Broom Service is this spooky themed game about witches designed by Alexander Fister of Great Western Trail fame and Andreas Pelican that puts you in this position where you have to make consequential simultaneous choices. It's not themed in a scary way. Uh, it's really playful and fun. You're sort of like 
witches delivering potions, so it's more zany than it is spooky. But I will say that core mechanism of brave and cowardly actually, for me, can produce a fair amount of agony around if I should call to be brave or cowardly and has the stakes of you losing a sizable chunk of your action. So while it's not directly scary, I think it's a nice spooky themed game that gives you a little bit of the like discomfort if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I think it's I mean, I think it's a great game and people (laughs) not not every game has to be like scary, scary, you know, for Halloween and like to still get in the spirit of, (laughs) you know, the pumpkin spice lattes are flowing. You've got witches on the table. I think that's good enough for me. Uh, to fit in well so i I totally agree and obviously we've talked about broom service a lot but it's one of our kind of like shared favorite games yeah Uh, it might even be like our our like number one number one game if we're just taking our top 10 list or whatever so the next game i'll bring up is one that i really love um and i think it is doing something different almost than anything we've talked about yet uh, and absolutely fits into the spooky game season. And that is Mysterium or its kind of re-implementation that kind of streamlines it called Mysterium Park. So in mm. Mysterium or Mysterium Park, you play as a, a paranormal investigator, like a psychic that is at a place to commune with somebody who has passed to identify the location, the murder weapon and the killer in classic clue fashion. But the way that this game works is that the one one person plays as the ghost and on each round of the game, they're giving each player a vision card, which is just a piece of art um, that is intended to clue them in in some way to you know the location or weapon or killer. And those art, art pieces are like beautiful, abstract, whimsical, and sometimes, you know, a little bit frightening themselves. And I just think because of the, you know, theme of the game fitting in so well, the fact that you're just sitting there kind of like interpreting art, it's probably not a great one for low light, just because you don't want people to be like straining their eyes too much to make out small detail. But it's like feels like the kind of game that like calls for like some candles on the table. And it's a great one for this time of year. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Mysterium's one I haven't played, but it's one I've always wanted to. But I think if I was going to play it at this point, it would be on Halloween. Like, just go yeah. all in. It's great. It's honestly like, I, you know, to go a little bit more into it, I think I've described it as like art interpretation, the game, yeah. because that's like, <laughs> there's no other game like that. Uh, I mean, I guess there are games in this similar space, like Dixit or whatever, but you're literally sure. just like, the agency you're doing in this game is like art historian or something. Like you're just like looking at art and like trying to like find meaning in it. And that's how you do well in the game. So, yeah. You know, and, and understand why you've. Yeah. And for that like unique agency, I think it's just like an awesome game that everybody should try at least once. Nice. So that's Mysterium. A game that came to mind for me, Jake. Um, and I'm really curious to hear your take on this one that I think would be perfect as like a opening game or a closing game on a spooky game night is The Mind. Um, the Mind isn't really scary. It's just presented as like a really simple game where you have a deck of uh, cards that range in values from 1 to 100, I believe it is. Uh, and you're trying to play them in order. That's not scary, but the stakes feel scary. And the fact that you have almost no agency because you can't say anything, I think makes it a little scary. There's a lot of anticipation and dread or around when you should play what you should play. And you end up sitting across the table looking at your friends squirming, not knowing if you should make the jump and maybe risk one of your lives. So there's that sense of loss too. I don't know that I've ever felt scared playing the mind, but I think I've gotten close when I'm going to lay down a card and I don't think it's the right time, but it feels like everyone else thinks it's the right time that I should do this. Ah! I think the mind kind of gets there for me and it's theming is really playful. It's like themed as this, like, I don't even know, like ninja bunnies more or less, (laughs) but like the The fact that you're saying it's themed at all is like a, you're doing a credit (laughs) sure but i mean okay that's fair i you could easily retheme the game i guess and make it a little bit scarier maybe i don't know but anyway it elicits a lot of those feelings for me and it gets me into a spooky uncomfortable throw some like blood on the cards and be like the killer is chasing you and every time you lose a life one step 
closer whatever you yeah. know what i mean yeah yeah but yeah i think this is a excellent call out and it definitely does have that jenga sense of like holding players in a state of tension where you're towards the end or maybe it's at the beginning and like three people are about to like play down a card at once and then everybody pulls their hand back and then you're just looking at each other for as long as you want before somebody decides to play a card. I think the other thing that's really interesting about the mind is that it's just put another game that puts you in an uncomfortable situation. When you have friends over, family over, and you're gathered around the table, you're, it, the norm is that you're talking and laughing. And this game says, we're going to actually like cut out the talking yeah. entirely. You know, we can't, I guess just I mean, you, look can, at you each can other. talk between rounds or whatever, but like while yeah. there's playing this game, we're just not talking. We're just making like sustained eye contact basically. Yeah. And that does put you in like sort of a, I mean, I don't want to say like uneasy, like I love this game, but just like you're, we're just doing something different. This is like a different thing that our bodies aren't used to like doing. And I do think that is, you know, maybe not scary, but it does kind of like is something again that like invites spookiness into the space, especially if you want to like dress it up with like candles and like play up like the psychic connection element of totally. it, which I absolutely always do. Um, I think in my games, you just highlighted something really interesting about this for me, Jake. Is that actually I think part of the reason it is so unsettling is oftentimes when we're in social situations, if we see our friend is uncomfortable, we'll do something to reassure them that it's okay, right? And in the mind, you are stripped away from your ability to reassure your friend that it's okay. And I mean, like, there's this, obviously, hopefully a magic circle understanding that it's okay to fail. But like, there's no display your card, you know, like, maybe a little bit. But the typical tool that we'd have to be like, reassuring that everyone else is taken away. And I think that's, re- yeah, it's really interesting. At least maybe that says something about me and what makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. but yeah yeah it's, cool. it's a, and i'm just noticing a trend like code names also has an element yeah. of like not being able to talk and communicate uh and same with mysterium the ghost player is not allowed to talk over the course of the game so totally. that's like one person sitting there silently while the rest <laughs> of the table talks and has fun which maybe adds a, a bit of uneasiness or tension to it though yeah i find that playing the ghost is very fun all right, the next one I'll put in there, and this is like my actual once a year Halloween time game that I get a big group of players together to play, and that's Mansions of Madness Second Edition. Uh, so if you're not familiar, Mansions of Madness is a, particularly the second edition, is a pure cooperative game. I think in the first edition, it was a one versus many game where sort of one person was controlling the big bads or whatever. But in this case, there is a app that is running everything for you uh, and you play as investigators very much in the spirit of a betrayal house on the hill type of vibe which we might touch on in a second where you're going into a mansion or into some setting and you're just trying to like investigate and basically like play through a story uh, that might involve cthulhu or monsters coming to attack you there may be puzzles to solve and it is a you know very like decision space light game right you're there's not a lot of like optimal moves to be made but there is like a fun story that you're being told and if you dress it up with you know halloween theming maybe at your house again like candles on the table is like a must dim the lights uh, and and just sort of take on the roles of these characters and just like have fun going through this game it's just an absolute winner uh for a halloween kind of game night nice that's awesome and this is another one that benefits from being a little bit longer so that it's another one where the you're kind of playing with the stakes of uh spending your time and wanting to win against the game i think yeah it also has fear of losing yeah and it has miniatures too so like it also has this sense of like slamming down like a big cthulhu thing on the board and just being like yeah that's gonna kill you right away if you're near that you know and everyone's like oh no like we can't beat that thing and it looks gross yeah right yeah Yeah, exactly i think that's one way where the miniatures here are probably used to great effect whereas if it was like just a little token it doesn't elicit maybe exactly the same thing there is some sort of like this miniature is evoking fear of loss it's like permeating around it (laughs) 
totally. <laughs> That's awesome. Jake, you played a game recently, which I'm curious about hearing your take on, on if it scared you, which is Return to Dark Tower. Yeah, I think it's a great one to kind of put as a corollary to Mansions of Madness in that they're playing in a very similar space as being cooperative games. I think Return to Dark Tower maybe has competitive mode or modules as well. I played it as a competitive game in my one play where do you mean co-op game what did i say you said competitive i yeah i played it as a co-op game but i think there is a competitive mode that's what i meant to say and it's in a similar space of mansions of madness because both sort of have an app that is more or less doing the bad things to the players sure return to dark towers a really interesting implementation of the app uh and it's one of these games where it almost would be impossible to run without the app because it would just be so much upkeep. Uh, so what this app does, here's the, I'll just give you the coolest bit about it, in my opinion, uh, was there's sort of an end boss that'll come out, I think, in most of the scenarios or it did in our scenario. Uh, and the way you complete like fight encounters in this game is each uh, thing that you fight has like a deck of 10 cards. And in order to beat like a low level troll, you just have to like review, reveal two cards and suffer the negative consequences of those two cards. It might be like lose this many hit points, like lose an item. And as long as you like are able to suffer those consequences, you defeat the monster with the boss. uh, You have to suffer like more consequences and the cards are much more impactful. So the way it works is if I go to attack the guy, you there's like a system of like advantage. So it might be like, I'll go into the fight with three advantage. And so I'll reveal a card and see if I can like suffer, say I have to get through five cards to win the game. The first card I reveal, it might be is like lose 25 life and I only have 15. I can use an advantage and it literally changes that card. It like Mm. makes that card weaker. So now maybe it says don't lose only 15. I'm like, okay, I'll use another advantage. Now it's like, okay, I'll lose five great i can suffer that consequence i'll look at the next card and then i can use my next advantage on that and then retreat from the fight and the next time we encounter that person again the app is remembered the modifications to the cards making the fight potentially less challenging each time you play it assuming you're hitting the same of those 10 cards so somebody might see that one that I had already changed to like lose only five life. And they're like, no problem. I can just skip right past that and try to use my advantage on some of these other cards. Uh, so that that was like really neat. Like it just was like, wow, that's a neat mechanism that it's doing. Ultimately, like I found the game itself not wholly like remarkable and impressive. Like I, I found that the Mansions of Madness second edition for me is telling like a much more compelling, scary story. Uh, I think probably Dark Tower has it beat on like a decision space perspective, perhaps more interesting decisions on your turn, but you're getting less story out of it. And so for me, it was a little bit of a mismatch just because I think my preference is like if I'm playing a heavily app driven cooperative game, I'd rather it be more of like a narrative experience. And if I'm, you know, and if I'm playing like a super a more like mechanical decision space intriguing type of game sure. then i don't necessarily want like an app to be like so heavily involved in that game if that makes sense so i think a lot of people love it it was awesome to play and definitely it's like a good halloween game just for like the theming of it with like the huge imposing black tower and the skulls and the monsters and fighting like i think it it fits well here as a recommendation to check out during this time of year but for me out of the two like i'm very happy to have mansion of the madness 2 or second edition rather in my collection over dark tower cool that sounds great what about okay i'm gonna ask you another and then okay. I'll, I'll come back to some of my examples. But you've recently acquired Richard Garfield's The Hunger, which is a vampire-themed game about going out and feasting and having to get back before the sun rises. Does this game... That's a spooky game. Is it a scary game? Definitely not scary, but I think it is a good one here for the the spooky season like in the same way that broom service is like the yeah. theme is right the theming is good but it's done in a, in a very playful way like yes you are devouring humans over the course of the game but like some of it is played for laughs like there are spicy humans that if you eat eat like a, a priest that's like wearing a garlic necklace or whatever for protection 
then whenever it's a deck building game so like whenever that card comes into your hand you have to like move towards the nearest well to like put out the spicy fire <laughs> from consuming this guy so so it's a i think it's a great one for for this like if you like clank it's it's very much a clank like game it does have that sense of tension of you know trying to make it back before sunrise will turn you to ash and definitely if you put yourself in a position you might feel like okay there's no way i'm gonna make it and now i'm like living with that dread while i try and frantically get back over the final three turns of the game i haven't played too much clank i played the base game only once so it's difficult for me to compare them head to head and say this is better or worse but i think it's a really good like halloween version of that clank mechanisms and I've now played this twice and I have to say I really enjoyed it. I think it's a little bit of a messy game just in terms of like there's a lot of different like mechanisms and icons, but it plays fast in like an hour basically with the setup being like a little more annoying than you'd want for an hour long game. But I liked my second play of it a lot more and than my first one. And I think it's there's there's enough interesting stuff here that I'll I'll keep it around and maybe I've already played it once this year. Maybe I'll play it again at a Halloween-y game night or at least keep it in the collection to break out again this time next year. Nice. That's awesome. So for me, I think the final thing in terms of my spooky games that I enjoy and would recommend for playing on a spooky game night is I just want to highlight one last time not to look past the potential for social deduction. So whether you're going to play Werewolf or The Resistance even or Blood on the Clock Tower, I think is another great one. Deception. Uh, we played. Oh, or Deception. Murder in Murder Hong, in Hong Kong. Kong. It's pretty spooky. It is. that The art of that one is dark too. So it gives you a little bit of that spooky potential. Um, I think that these games are just so good at creating a unique space for their players to exist in that really pulls you in uh so i think if i was gonna do a spooky game night i would just let's just play werewolf like it's so good yeah that's, that's, and it's a perf- that's a perfect one to like dim the lights you know exactly we've covered it i don't gotta go i don't need to go deeper but yeah all right well there are definitely a couple more i would be reticent if i didn't mention on this episode and the first one is Arkham Horror, the living card game, which is a perfect thematic game for the spooky season. Um, and it's a game that almost fits well into that narrative style of game where you, if you're playing through a campaign of this, not only is you know the game very tensionarizing, dread-filled even with the chaos bag mechanism where you have to reach into a bag to draw out your fate tile that's going to basically tell you uh how badly you're going to get hurt by whatever action you chose um i also wanted to highlight this one because i think as the weather changes here in st louis uh i know that you and i are both in very much a four distinct seasons type of place my appetite for playing solo games and even like video games really changes uh when it's summer and nice and warm outside i'm somebody who really likes to get outside i play a ton of disc golf and other recreational sports and you know go for the runs and everything but now that it starts to get a little cooler outside i find myself thinking like oh hey what video games are out that i haven't like played like it just feels like I want to hibernate and cocoon a little bit more in the warmth of my house. And solo games is great for that. So I think as of all the solo games I've played, Arkham Horror, the living card game is is my favorite. I think it's the most like fulfilling solo experience to date. Um, and, you know, so now is sort of, I think, the, the right time to start dusting that off yourself and see, you know, where you left that campaign or maybe if it's time to like revisit one that you have or, or perhaps even explore uh, checking out a new cycle of investigation scenarios. Nice. That's awesome. Not one I've played, but one you have me eminently interested in for sure, Jake. Yeah, that would be a really good one for, I think, next time we're able to game together, together. especially if, if yeah. it was in like not a con setting, because I wouldn't sure. want to play this with like more than two people. But if we were just doing like a weekend of just like us two doing some gaming, I think we would have a ton of fun checking the, checking out Arkham Horror. Um, and the last game on my list that I absolutely wanted to mention here uh, and give my highest recommendation to is Alice is Missing. Uh, Alice is Missing is a role-playing game that I recently played with my laughing table friends Monday Night Game Group. And 
it has a really, I think, unique and innovative approach to RPGs uh, that made it work really well uh, for bringing into a traditional board gaming game night. Uh, none of us are primarily RPG players at all. I've, I think everyone involved in this game group has maybe dabbled a little bit. I've played uh, a few sessions of Dungeons and Dragons now, but definitely playing an RPG at our game night was was well outside of our comfort zone. And the way this one works is that the setting is, I think it's uh, a little bit, in, I think it's present day California, uh, and you are playing as high school students just off for break. And it has, and nobody has seen your friend Alice in like 48 hours. Uh, and so you're trying to figure out what happened to Alice. And the way you play this game is 100% via text message. So you text each other, you text a group chat, uh, and you are working together or, or perhaps at times against each other. Or, you know, if adverse, if adversarial relationships pop up or perhaps uh, motives come up over the group to figure out what happened to your friend. There's also some like game mechanisms here. You're not just solely like free form texting each other. Um, so the game plays in 90 minutes real time. And every five or 10 minutes, uh, somebody different around the table has cards laid out in front of them that are sort of like story or event cards. Uh, so spread spaced out e- evenly. So maybe I have the 80 minute card uh, that and the 55 minute card. So when it says 80 minutes, I'll read my card. It's going to give me some piece of information that I can use to like sort of progress the story. Uh, there are suspect cards and location cards that come out. Uh, so maybe my card tells me that like to draw the top card of the suspect deck. Uh, and this is like a mild spoiler. And there's different versions of each of these cards. So you might not get necessarily the same one in your game. But I'll give you a spoiler. Like one of my cards was like reveal the top card of the suspect deck. Uh, you know, or and then like as like what is this person's like dark secret that you know? So, you know, so I reveal the person, invent like what a dark secret might be for this person, and then I work that into like the discussion we're having in the group chat, or maybe I share that piece of information with somebody else uh, in the group, and kind of as it goes, like the events maybe ratchet up in sort of like information or intensity. Uh, until you kind of get down to the final reveal. And again, there's different ways uh, just based on the cards you draw. Uh, it could end and also, of course, based on kind of what you invent and create uh, amongst your players. So when we played this, we spent like 45 minutes doing the pre-game character building. We were all assigned a character. Uh, we kind of went through a process of like deciding like what our relationships were with each each other. Um, and that just gives you like a rich texture that you can draw on as you're like communicating over the course of the game. Um, And then you just have 90 minutes of just, again, silence. Nobody's talking. You're just all, so we're sitting around the table together in person and we're all just like rapid fire texting each other without nonstop for 90 minutes and feeling like the, the, you know, tension and drama grow and grow. My experience was really positive. I had a complete blast with this. I think it's a really cheap box too, like $15 or something. Uh, I want to, so I might pick it up or maybe just try and borrow uh, a copy from my friend who owns it to show to some other people. But I think this would be like absolutely perfect for a Halloween game night. Something that you could kind of get different experiences out of versus who you played with. Ours was, you know, like we took the content like seriously, but still had plenty of laughs, which was just going to be inevitable for, you know, who we are as the laughing table friends. Um, But yeah, it was, it was, you know, completely unique gaming experience. I hadn't done anything like that before. And it definitely made me eager to try out more of these kind of like one shot, real innovative RPG experiences. This is, it sounds like this is sort of thing too, Jake, where you could take it and make it even spookier if you wanted, if you all went in and sort of said, we want to bring spooky elements to this story. Is that true? Totally. Yeah. So there's like a process of like, what is it called? Like, like, like lines and veils where everybody can sort of say like, this is like, there. I think uh, the person who facilitated our game brought like a printed off sheet of paper for like things that are like commonly like lined and veiled. So say like, you know, okay, like I really would feel uncomfortable if one of the things on the list was 
was like slavery. As I said, like I would feel uncomfortable if like our story revolves around slavery. Like let's exclude that that from being in our story this time. Uh, We also chose to line for Aurora in our discord. Her suggestion was that somebody in their play group had like tried to make it like supernatural. And we decided like, we didn't want that. We wanted to do like a more like realism focused story. Uh, but yeah, you could totally choose to make this like a ghost story or vampires or whatever you wanted if you wanted to really uh, like dress up the horror elements. Though, Interesting. You know, for me and probably a lot of other people, like, you know, perhaps the realism is like the scariest More way to go. Yeah. But yeah, you could do whatever you wanted with it or you could certainly do whatever you wanted with like the lighting and we did it with a 90 minute timer. I think there's like a YouTube video that's like official that like gives you some sounds with it. So that was a really nice way to go. I would recommend that, but you could use, of course, anything you wanted as kind of your backdrop. Cool. So that's Alice is Missing. Thanks for telling us about that, Jake. Yeah, highly recommend checking out. And I would also be interested to hear other people's experiences with it just because it's such a unique thing. Yeah, which if you've played Alice is Missing and you want to let Jake know what your experience with it was, you can do so in our Discord, uh, which you can find in a link to our uh, you can find a link to on in our show notes or on decisionspacepodcast.com. We'll also say, I hope you really enjoyed this rumination on can games be spooky and spooky games we like to play during the spooky season. Yeah, let us know your yeah. experiences with that. Have you been scared in a game? What game? Are there games that you tend to play around this time of year? Like, I'm dying to know all that stuff. So hopefully we'll have some robust discussion in our episode chat in the discord yeah and until next time thank you to hembry for their hit song reach out which we use as our intro and outro song goodbye y'all bye, bye.